Good morning. It is so good to see everyone and again to know that there are so many more that are joining us online and every week it seems like I get to see families that I haven't seen in so very long and as has already been said this morning, what a joy to be together, what a joy to join our voices and our hearts and our spirits in worshiping God and remembering who we are and whose we are. I love you and I appreciate you so very much. This series, this month that we're wrapping up this morning has been good for me to remind myself, to be reminded by the scriptures that we are one body. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we are one body. So we've been exploring that idea. What does it mean to be one body in Jesus? This week I read one of Aesop's fables that I had never read before that really ties into what we're talking about. It's called the, the belly and the members. And the story goes that the members of the body all decided that they didn't much care for the belly because the belly was just lazy and fat and it just did nothing it seemed and it seemed like all the rest of the parts of the body did everything for the belly but the belly did nothing for the rest the rest of the body and so all of the the members of the body all got together and they decided we're going to go on strike because we're tired of this belly taking advantage of us we're always feeding the belly and what does the belly ever do for us and so the fingers and the hands and the arms and the teeth and the mouth everybody decided we're going to go on strike until this belly starts doing more stuff around here and they all decided we're not going to do anything or give the belly any more food because we're tired of the belly taking advantage of us well it didn't take very long before the fingers and the legs and the arms and every part of the body started to wither away and eventually died, realizing too late that they were doing as much or the belly was doing as much for them as they were doing for the belly, that we're in this together, that we have a mutual dependence, that we all need each other, and that sometimes the best way to care for ourselves is actually by selflessly caring for others, and that by selflessly caring for others, we're actually taking care of ourselves. And when we ignore each other and don't help each other, then we ourselves suffer the consequences because we're all one body. And so that's what we've been talking about this month. In fact, you might even put it this way, that Christianity is a group project. That's what I've been thinking about this week, that Christianity is a group project. And I asked Holly this morning, did you like group projects when you were in school? And her reaction was the same as mine. And the answer was no. I didn't really care for group projects in school. In fact, I always hated it when the teacher said, okay, today's project is going to be a group project. And there were several problems with group projects, right? You had several problems. One is that you might be in a group that's divided and you can't decide on which direction you're going to go. And everybody has their own ideas. Everybody wants to go in a different direction or do something different. No, I think we should do this or I think we should do that. And somebody else says, I think we should do this other thing. And so you might be in a group that's divided or you might be in a group that ends up not being able to cooperate or correlate or work together, but instead it just becomes a compilation. Everybody sort of does their own thing, not really working together in concert, but each working alone, and then at the end you just kind of dump it all into one big pile, and it's not really a group project. 
Or you might be in a group where you feel like you're carrying the weight of everybody else, where nobody else is carrying their own weight and you feel like you're doing everything for the rest of the group and everybody's just kind of being a bunch of freeloaders. Or you might be in a group where you feel like you're dead weight, where your talents, your abilities, your skills don't really seem to help anybody and they're just kind of like, okay, Wes, you just sit over there, you be quiet, we got this, don't worry about it. And so with a group project, it often felt like the group was a hindrance to the project. Did you ever feel like that when you're doing a group project? Because you had the group and you had the project. And sometimes it felt like the group was a hindrance to the project. Like I could do this project better. I could do this project easier. I could do this project more efficiently if it wasn't for the group. And that the group is actually standing in the way of the project. And sometimes we can even feel that way with Christianity, can't we? We can feel like, I could do this better if it wasn't for all the other Christians. If it wasn't for all these other people that are getting in my way, I could do this Christianity thing better. And sometimes people actually begin to withdraw away from the body, away from the church, attempting to do the project without the group. The problem with that is a fundamental misunderstanding about what Christianity is. Because not only is Christianity a group project, but in Christianity, the group is the project. The group is the project. What is our project? What is it that we're called to do? It is to be the body. It is to collectively reflect the image of Jesus into the world so that the world sees Christ and is drawn to him into his body. So it isn't, it isn't that the group becomes a hindrance to the project because the project itself is the group. Our project, our mission, our task, our work is to be the body of Christ. It is to collectively reflect Jesus into the world so that the world sees Christ and is drawn into this fellowship that God through the spirit is drawing people into his family into the body of Christ through our collective work and so again Christianity is not only a group project but our project is the group you can't do it on your own you can't do it by yourself the whole point of everything we're doing is to do it together is to be the church 24-7, working together to reflect Christ into the world. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage from the book of Ephesians. And I love the way that Paul encourages people. The way Paul tends to encourage people is he gives people the, here's the big fancy word, the indicatives and then the imperatives. In other words, he tells people, this is the way things are in Jesus. And then he says, therefore... And then the imperatives, here's what you're supposed to do. So the indicatives are, these are the way things are, and the imperatives are, the, because of that, here's how you should be, here's what you should do. So Paul lays out the theological groundwork, and he says, okay, here's how everything is, here's what Jesus has done, here's what the Spirit is doing, here's what the Father's doing, and because that's true, here's what you should do. Here's how you should respond. And chapter 4 of Ephesians is a great example of that transition to the imperatives he says I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now notice, he says, because all of this is true, everything he's laid out in Ephesians 1 through 3, because all of this is true, I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. Now notice, when he says that, what does he follow that up with? It's unity. What is the manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called? It's, it's this. It's church life. It's how we live in the community of Christ. And notice when he talks about unity, it's not just doctrinal, it's relational. Unity is not just doctrinal, it's relational. Growing up, I thought that doctrine was just about having a shared, or rather unity was about just having a shared set of beliefs. But that's not enough. It is impossible to maintain the unity of the spirit with simply by having the same shared beliefs. I mean, look around at the world. The world is full of groups who have 99% of beliefs in common. They believe 99% of the same things, but they still split and fight and get mad at each other and go separate ways and can't remain united. Because it's not just about believing the same things, it's about how we treat one another. And what does he say? Relationally. How do we relate to one another in the spirit? He says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, bearing with one another. I love that phrase, don't you? Bearing with one another in love, putting up with one another in love, tolerating one another in love, enduring one another in love. You know, every week I say, I love you. And I don't say that to this church family because this church family is perfect. It's good. It's great, it's wonderful, it's awesome. I have a special place in my heart for you, but I don't say I love you because you're perfect. I don't say to my, my children or my wife, they don't say to me I love you because of perfection. It's not because we never do anything that gets on each other's nerves. We don't love each other because we, we agree 100% of the time about everything, that we think the same about everything. We say, I love you because we're committed to each other. We say, I love you because we're in it together. We say, I love you because we're bonded to one another. We say, I love you because we're family. And even when we disagree, and even when we have a hard time, and even when somebody does something that steps on our toes or irritates us or makes us angry, we say, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. Because sometimes family doesn't agree, and sometimes family fights with one another. Sometimes family disagrees with one another. But love says we have something in common that's bigger than all of that, something in common that's more important than all of that, a mission that's more important than any of that. So I'm not going anywhere. We're in it together. We're going to stick it out. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, because of what you've been given in Jesus, I beg you, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What does that look like, Paul? It looks like humility. And it looks like gentleness. And it looks like patience. And it looks like bearing with one another in love. 
And it looks like an eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now notice what he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He doesn't say, be interested in maintaining the unity in the, in the bond of peace, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He doesn't say, be okay with maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He doesn't even say, be concerned about maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, be eager, be diligent, be on fire for this. Nothing is more important than this. You didn't create the unity, the Spirit did. You don't create unity, you maintain unity. And he says, you need to have an eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, humility, and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. This is how you walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You can't walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called by yourself. This is a group journey. This is a group task. This is a group project. We're walking together. And it is up to us to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace by living and walking and relating to one another in the Spirit, which means humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. Look at what he goes on to say, verse 4. There is... One body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, I love, I love the fact that this is a, a triune passage, right? He, he shows us the triune God, the spirit, the one spirit, the one Lord, Jesus, and, and the one God and Father, and so it is the Spirit and the Lord and the Father who give us this unity. He says, this is the way it is. There is. Not, not just you should believe this. These aren't just doctrines to believe. These are doctrines that are true. These are doctrines that are true. This is why you have unity. This is why you are one. This is why you are one body. Because of the one Spirit. Because of the one Lord. Because of the one Father. And it is the one spirit who makes us one body, right? Again, we talked about Paul in 1 Corinthians, how we are one body because of the one bread. Here he says we are one body because of the one spirit. My body, my human body, is one because it has one spirit that animates, empowers everything that I do. But collectively, we are one body because collectively we have one spirit. And it is by that one spirit that we have life and that we live and walk according to our calling. So we have one spirit because, we, or rather we have one body because of the one spirit. We have one hope, we have one faith, we have one baptism because of the one spirit, because of the one Lord. Because of the one Father. And then he says in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, 
and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now you might write in the margin of your Bible or in your notes Psalm 68 because Paul is quoting from Psalm 68 which is a a victory psalm. And God is victorious over the powers of evil. And he says that the king of glory is ascending. And it's like he's, he's leading a victory parade. And he's leading a host of captives. And leading this host of captives, he says that he gives gifts to men. Which is interesting because when you go back and you read Psalm 68 in verse 18, it says that God receives gifts from men. That the king, that God, the king, that Yahweh, the king, after he has defeated the forces of darkness and he ascends to the throne, that men give gifts to God. But Paul here says that God also gives gifts to men. Which is it? Yes, it's both, isn't it? That men give gifts to him and that he gives gifts to his people. That God and his people share in this victory. And Paul is saying, this is is Jesus. Jesus is the Lord who has not only ascended, but has also descended. That he descended here to claim victory. And in claiming victory, he has also ascended. And when he ascended, he led a, a host of captives. And he has given gifts to his people. That sounds good, doesn't it? We like gifts. What kind of gifts, Paul? What kind of gifts has Jesus given to his people now that he has claimed victory? Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Let's stop right there for just a second. These are the gifts that Jesus has given to his people. Apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now let me just stop there for a second. And remind us of a fact that our shepherds are a gift from Jesus. Our elders are a gift from Jesus. It's important that we treat them that way. McDermott Road has some of the most amazing elders that I have ever seen. And this year has been one of the hardest years that any eldership has ever had to go through. And I am so thankful that Jesus has blessed his church with the elders he's given to us, with the shepherds he's given to us. These shepherds are gifts from Jesus, and we need to appreciate them as such. Now why, Paul, why has Jesus given apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, why has he given those to the church, verse 12, to equip the saints? That's all y'all, right? That's all of us, the holy ones, God's people, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's the purpose of the gifts. Now, do you see this picture that he's painting for us? That Jesus descended from heaven, that he claimed the victory, that he won the war, and then he ascended to the Father's right hand. In in ascending, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to his people. What kind of gifts? Prophets, apostles, teachers, evangelists, shepherds. For what purpose? 
to equip the people, to equip the people, to equip the saints, to equip the church, to do what? To do the work of ministry. Ministry? I thought just some people were supposed to be ministers or do ministry. Paul says, no. All of God's people are supposed to be doing ministry. That's the purpose of these roles. That's the purpose of these gifts is to equip every Christian to do the work of ministry. To what end are we doing the work of ministry? For what purpose are we doing this work of ministry? For the building up of the body, right? That's why God gave prophets and apostles, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints, to equip the people for the work of ministry so that the entire body might be built up. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The goal of Jesus giving the church these offices, these roles, these people, evangelists and teachers and shepherds and prophets and apostles, is to equip all of the people to do the work of ministry. And the purpose of doing the work of ministry is to build up the body of Christ. And the reason the body needs to be built up is so that we stand together, mature, knowledgeable, wise, not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Because a tossed people are not only a lost people, but also a scattered people. People that are tossed to and fro are not only lost, but they're also scattered. The only way we stay together is that we listen to what is true and what is right and that we become equipped to do the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ so that this is who we can be, standing strong in faith, in knowledge, and in maturity. Verse 15, rather, rather than being tossed to and fro, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's a great way to end this section, isn't it? He says the only way that this can be a reality, the only way we together can grow up and be mature and be strong, and be faithful, and be united, is to speak the truth in love. What do you mean by love, Paul? Well, what he said before, humility, and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Speaking the truth in love. This is the only way we can be strong and be the people that we're called to be, speaking the truth in love. And we are to grow up in every way into what? Into the head, into, the, into Christ, so that we together collectively look like Jesus, so that we are reflecting an accurate picture of Christ into the world. 
That's the goal. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's the project. The project. The mission. The task. The work is that we build each other up so that collectively we reflect the image of Christ. And if we would go back to the, the previous slide for just a second, look at what he says. He says, when each part is working properly, when each part is working properly, it builds up the body in love. When each part is working properly, we all have a job to do. We all have a ministry to do. We're all a different part of the body, and we all have a calling. And Paul says, walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. How do you do that? Well, you do that with humility and with patience and with gentleness, with bearing with one another in love. Yes, we need to believe the same things. Yes, we need to hold on to these core truths. But we also have to relate to one another in the spirit with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We have to love each other and hold on to each other because the group is the project. The project is that we together would grow up so that collectively we look like Christ. So that we are a mosaic of Jesus for the world to see, where every tile is playing its part, where every body part is working properly so that it builds the body up in love. So here's a way we might be able to remember that. Here's the way it's supposed to be, that every member ministers building up the body. It's fun to say. Every member ministers building up the body. Every member ministers building up the body. That's our goal, isn't it? Our goal is to get to the point where every member ministers building up the body. That's the way it's supposed to be. Every member ministers building up the body. I, I don't like it when somebody refers to me as the minister here or even one of the ministers here. That's true. I am one of the ministers here, but usually what they mean by that is there's, you know, this group of paid employees. This congregation is supposed to be made up of every member doing ministry, every member ministering. And the result of that is that the body is built up, right? That's what Paul says. My job as an evangelist, my job is to help equip all of us to do the work of ministry. Every member ministers building up the body. And so we have to stop and ask ourselves, am I ministering? Are you ministering? Are each of us ministering? Are we working properly so that the body is built up in love? We have to ask ourselves questions like, what if every member ministered the way I minister? What if you asked yourself that? What if you looked yourself in the mirror this afternoon and asked yourself, what if every member ministered the way I minister? What if every member encouraged the way that I encourage? What if every member built up other body parts the way I do? For some, it might be, well, that would be awesome. If every mem member ministered the way that you minister, that would be fantastic, and the body would be built up in love. But for others, it might be a death sentence for the body. We have to accurately look at ourselves 
and ask ourselves, am I really ministering to the rest of the body? Because there are other body parts that are depending on you working properly so that the body is built up in love. There is one baptism. There is one faith. There is one body. When you were baptized into Jesus, if you've made that decision and made that step, you became part of a body. You became part of a group project where our project was to reflect Christ into the world that the world might be drawn to Jesus. That's the life into which you step. That's the work into which you step. That's the mission into which you step. That's the project into which you step. That's the story into which you stepped. And every now and then we need to be reminded of that, don't we? Those of us that have been baptized, we need to be called back to that and reminded, I've got a job to do. I'm supposed to be a minister. We're all supposed to be ministering, building up the body. Or maybe there's somebody here and you haven't made that step yet. You haven't made that decision yet. And you're ready to be part of this group project. And and thankfully, God shows us a whole lot of mercy and a whole lot of grace. But we also have to show that same type of mercy and grace and forgiveness to one another, don't we? Again, that's how Paul starts this whole conversation. By saying, this is the only way you can maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love ministering to each other so that together the body is built up. So let's think about that this week. Let's think about that as we sing this final song. Let's think about that and reflect on whether or not we need prayers or encouragement or need to be baptized into Jesus. Let's reflect on that as we go throughout our week and ask, am I ministering? Because it's supposed to be that every member ministers building up the body. And if we can help you with that in any way, Now's a great opportunity to meet with one of our shepherds at the information desk as we sing this song.